Not wood finishing sucks. No, I'm kidding. Dude, you know, I like wood finishing. I, I I like it. I just don't like bourbon being on the la- front of the label. That's it. it. Labeling sucks. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Labeling sucks. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. So where did it all go wrong? Or maybe it's not even wrong, but secondary cask finished bourbons, it seems to be all the rage. And what used to be a means of innovation has turned into a chase where companies are trying to find the most exotic woods and doing multi-cask finishes to keep fans asking, what's next? So in this episode, Ryan, Fred, and myself, we dive into the history of cask finishes and we question whether devil oak bourbons are actually still considered pure bourbon. And we wonder, why don't you as consumers ask more questions to hold companies responsible and accountable about the finishing processes and with potential quality drops? And lastly, I drop a bomb about skew sprawl. And what would potentially happen if larger companies continually create more finishes that start squeezing out shelf space for smaller brands who are up and coming and just trying to create really good whiskey? With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from LowFatGif on Twitter. That's at LowFatGif on Twitter. I hope I got that right. I'm looking into purchasing a Dusty from the 80s, and I'm wondering which bottles you'd suggest most of the Wild Turkey line get fantastic reviews, so I've been focusing in on that, but wondering what some of your favorites are. Hmm. Well, Wild Turkey was would be my leading would be my leading recommendation because you had a you had a whole slew of ranges there, but sometimes you can get those twelve year old gold foils. Oh my god, those are so good. And so I, I would I definitely would start there. Uh, then I would go to Old Fitzgerald. Old Fitzgerald was being uh, distilled by, I think, the most underrated distiller of the 20th century, and Edwin Foote. Ed Foote, you know, we'd end up becoming friends, but he was the last master distiller for Stitzel Weller and just a genius of a distiller. And his whiskey was great. And uh, if he didn't distill it, you know, the guy before him was great as well, Roy, whether it was Roy Hawes or... Woodrow Wilson, the distillers at Stitzelweller were amazing. So I'd go there. I'd probably look into some of the Beam stuff of that time was pretty excellent. You had the the first uh, releases of Booker's coming out in the late 1980s. You would see it in 1987. So if you see one of those bottles, those can fetch a hefty price tag. Uh, one went for a charity auction recently for like 17000 so, and that's the auction I actually curated. So that was for the Speed Museum. So that was awesome. And let's see, I'll round it out for you. Let's see, what's another product that would be great for you from that time frame? Hmm. Go with some from Heaven Hill, maybe like an Elijah Craig. Those early Elijah Craigs were delicious. Of course, they would change the age statement and everything, but uh, those would have been pre-fire. You know, Heaven Hill Distillery burned down in 1996, and anything from pre-fires, kind of special and historic. So, yeah, hunt those. But uh, that's an excellent question. Low-fat GIF. I hope I got that right. And love to know what low-fat GIF means, by the way. But all right, that is going to do it for that. I hope I answered that sufficiently for you. But if you want to be like low-fat GIF, hit me up on Twitter or fredminnick.com. Click the contact button and let me know your question. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000273. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. 
And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Mm, rock and roll. Oh, that's right. Drinking bourbons as we're doing this, too. We're doing here. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to be one that was a suggestion think, from a listener. Fred's drinking melatonin. <laughs> <laughs> He's been yawning. I don't I'm like, yeah, we, we've been recording a couple episodes here, and I'm just like, I like hit a wall of like, oh, my God. And Kenny doesn't have coffee in his house. <laughs> or liquid death. And, and yeah. I'm like, oh, so tired. Yeah, what is your, is Liquid Death, tell me about it. I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, so Liquid Death is, uh, it. they don't pay me. I have no official connection to them whatsoever. That's how it all starts, though. Yeah, I doubt it. They they actually have, like, big celebrities, like, behind them. But it's a sparkling water. I picked it up at a, at a music festival. I was like, oh, my God, this stuff's great. So what's the difference between that and, like, LaCroix or something? I, like get, I get, I got, I got like, loving death. Yeah. I, I like, I like the irony of it and it, cause it's also, it's like, uh, it, the irony is like, it's liquid death. It's just water, right? Like if you get like sparkling water, like we used to make it at home with, uh, with a yeah. little soda stream, but they, we, this was a pain in the ass. And so it's aluminum, so it's recyclable, you know, so I'm not doing any kind of plastic stuff, which is recyclable too, but aluminum, it's better, you know, yeah. it's way better to recycle. And so there's that. And I love the irony of it. I love the irony. So it's got, a, it's got, a, very, it's got a very heavy metal type of yeah, and logo. I'm a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, I'm that's in your, I'm a metal head, right in your so, scene. And I, and I have a skull ascot and things like that. And, you know. I feel like Louder in Life, Fred's going to have Liquid Death Ascot <laughs> <laughs> sponsored by. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, one day, well, maybe. Yeah. It'll be a whole sport coat with that. Oh, that'd be a cool one. Yeah, it's just going to have a patch oh. sewn in the back. Skull you and know, crossbones. You know, I want a fur coat. Like a... Like a meek? No, not like a meek, <laughs> but... But yeah, like in, in that in that realm. Like I, a I pimp's want a, I want like a really big, you know, so... Yeah, boots are next. I yeah. want like an E40. Like E40, if you like follow E40 on Instagram, this dude's got the biggest fur coats ever. You know, and it is very pimpy. It was uh, that I'm pimp like, on Dave Chappelle. He's like, oh, I don't care. Lucky <laughs> small hooves are <laughs> But I'm like, I, I, I want a fur coat. And... um those things last forever. Those last generations. My wife has one from like passed down from her grandma and her mom to her. So they last for everything. What other ever. random topic can we get? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like uh, what are we about uh, yeah. In my defense, I did not start the. Uh, it's, good. it's true. I, I, I did. didn't. It's usually, good, it's me. It's a good sidebar, though. Yeah. It's a good sidebar. <laughs> we, we learned yet another new facet of life about Fred. Yep. He's going to pair. Fur coats with mascots. I, I want ostrich boots and a fur coat. Alligator calling you next. What's that? Peta's after you next. <laughs> oh, God. Animal cruelty. In college, I wrote. A, well, you know, they have already, they've already been after me. I've already I've, I've already had a little uh, little run in. Yeah, a little run with them. And also, you know, when I wrote the when I did all the beef stuff, I had some stuff with them as well. And, and but anybody no, no pun intended. Anybody who is in the beef industry, you will remember this. There was a time that they went from saying slaughtering to harvesting, and and that can and because they were trying to <laughs> yes, uh, that that's, sense. that's the wokest thing. <laughs> I, they, they were this was like two thousand two, and they were trying to like uh, the you know they were getting so much 
business from animal rights activists. And, and you know, there's a lot of things that I needed to clean up. There was a lot of inhumane stuff going on. So, you know, there's videos out there of uh, packing plants, like abusing these animals, and that needed to be fixed. But in their their grand, like, uh, genius, someone said, Let's, I know, let's change it from slaughtering to harvesting, yeah, like a plant. That'll, that'll show them that we care. You know, I was like, give me a fucking break. Anyway, I'm sorry. We're here to talk about bourbon, not this random shit. Animals have souls, too. That's right. I do believe that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and let's dive into today's topic, which is are secondary cask finished bourbons going to follow the craft beer craze? So this was a topic that was suggested by a listener of ours. And it really kind of just shows the modern trend that we see for a lot of brands is everybody is coming out with a toasted something, a finished something, and they've got to go crazier and crazier and crazier to try and figure out how do we capture like what's next? What's that shiny red ball? What are people going after? And that has kind of already been happened and already played out inside of the craft beer world because nobody just wants a regular IPA anymore or nobody just wants a regular stout. And I'm, by far, I'm one of these people. And it's like, I want the one that's the cocoa nibs with the marshmallow and the vanilla beans that's 14% plus. Yeah. And that has that has completely shifted the way that people have to market, they have to move. And now, is that going to lose sight of just what is good straight bourbon whiskey? Because it's, it's not even just the small players that have to try and make a name for themselves and put something out there, but it's even the big players out there. They are all coming out with secondary cask finishes. They're trying to figure out how do they plan that market too. So let's, let's kind of dive into that too. And, and I kind of want to think of uh, like, where did this really begin? And there is a, well, it's funny you should ask that. I can tell you the whole history if you oh like. Boy. Well, let's go. Let's go. You go because I, I, I found an excerpt from a book as well that, that I'll, I'll kind of throw in here too. The finishing series is is not foreign to whiskey. You know, it's very common in Scotch. A lot of that was out of, out of necessity uh, because they needed barrels. You know, and they, they would have bourbon. They would have access to sherry, and so there was just, they'd be playing around with it to create flavors. And in bourbon, of course, there's this little law that says bourbon must go into new charred oak. And so, any it, once it t- comes out of that new charred oak, touches something else, it's no longer bourbon. And the first to do this was uh, Booker No in the late 1990s. And he actually worked with the fellow that did the Grand Marnier barrel with, with Drew. That finish, which... The XCF? Yeah, 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 yeah. He worked with him on that. Alan uh, Royer is his name. And he was... Is an icon in the in the spirits trade. He's a brilliant, brilliant barrel you know, knows, he knows whiskey, he knows cognac, he's he's brilliant. And at this time, the late 1990s, all the world knew was bourbon, bottled and bond, straight bourbon. You know, cast strength was still kind of new to the consumer audience. So he comes out with this, um, this cognac finish in 1999, I believe, was the year. And it gets on the shelves. Nobody understood it. It didn't make any sense. It was an 18-year Jim Beam finished in, in cognac, um, and it was part of their their masterpiece, you know, collection series. And it didn't didn't do well. I mean, they just they, yeah. they pulled it off. I remember the Parkers like 27-year cognac or what? It was a higher number cognac something that just sat forever. Didn't do well. It it didn't do well. But what it did was it gave people ideas. And in the early 2000s, there was a lot of lot of people coming into the game, a lot of, quote, craft distillers that uh, were buying uh, product from other people, and they wanted to be different. And one of the ways you could be different is if you finished it in something. And Lincoln Henderson was doing all of these, like, experiments. And by, all the brands were experimenting with this stuff. And Lincoln Henderson was doing this at uh, Brown Foreman uh, with Woodford Reserve, and, you know, and he was a big part of everything at Brown Foreman. And, of course, he retires and then starts Angel's Envy. And Angel's Envy was was the brand that really kind of solidified the legitimacy of a, uh, of a barrel year did Angel's Envy come on? This, do, you, do you know when, when they 2000, So it, 2010, 2013 okay. is when they start their own distillery. But you have— They, they definitely set the bar of—it's they, they, a company that only does— 
right. finished whiskey. But you're you are looking at the only way that finished whiskey could have happened in the American style of whiskey is if you had two iconic juggernauts do it. And you had Booker No and you had Lincoln Henderson within a decade of each other like doing this. And there was a lot of like sherry finish here, port finish there in between. But those were the two that kind of bookend the the creation of this category. And you know, it, it started out with cognac and port, two things that we know really well. And then it evolved into toasted, oak, just an additional oak barrel. Tokai finishes to now where you've got people seeking special Japanese oak and oh, they're all over the place. So to me, it's it's fascinating because it is the evolution. But here's the other part is like and this. I harp on this all the time. It's not bourbon. You know, it once it goes out of that barrel and in something else, it's something else. So the federal government says, well, we can call it bourbon finish in such and such cast. That didn't do it. So they created an entirely new category called distilled spirit specialty or spirit specialty. And so like on the label, I'll say straight bourbon finish in X. And I love I love the flavors of a lot of these, but I just wish we could clean that label that labeling issue up uh, because that... It's very ambiguous. It, it's ambiguous, <laughs> but it also makes bourbon vulnerable for copycats down the road because we're not even adhering to our own terms and standards of what is bourbon on a label. Well, because it's it's not only finished in, it's like, is it recharged or is there other right. flavors Just added adding or, a you gallon know, of whatever. And so... Oh, yeah. I mean, when they call it uh, wetting the barrel. So let's say you are um, about to finish in a sherry barrel. Why that sherry barrel coming from Spain? Oh, it's very dry. So let's and, and go by ahead. the way, not only is it dry, but you paid a boatload of uh, money for this barrel. You're mm-hmm. you're paying over a thousand dollars just for an empty cask. Yes, and so what they'll do is they will pour sherry in it, you know, to make sure that it holds. But they're like, oh, it holds, but they're not taking that sherry out. <laughs> they're putting the whiskey in with that sherry. So there's a little bit of shenanigans going on there. And you can also so sneak more in, than a little. Yeah, you can yeah. sneak in flavor packets. You can do a lot with these uh, with that process. Yeah, and I, I love the finishing category. I think it's, I think it adds a lot of interesting and complex flavors to the whiskey. Um, I think it's fun, you know, to try like bourbon as it is, and then with different finishes and how. To me, I, the the brands that I love that do finishing well, they kind of like complement the whiskey. They don't overpower it, but I can tell the brands that do dump that sherry and you know it's like okay i'm just drinking sherry why don't i just order sherry or i'm just drinking toast i'm drinking toast but uh it is fascinating that the community like that was so against flavored whiskey is now embracing flavored whiskey it it, it is flavored (laughs) it's like it is flavored whiskey it's like okay so what you're telling me it's like this craze over like all these different honey finishes and maple and this and and it's like they were doing this. You could have bought this for wild turkey honey for ten dollars a bottle, Jack honey or this and that. But you're going to pay two hundred dollars because it's finished in a honey barrel. And they were yeah. It, and, it, those people's defense though, the Bellamy honey barrel is so oh, it, good. it is good, so good. It okay. is good. It's not as it's not as as honey, right? It's yeah. just that that little well, subtle. No, no, no. Honey I guess flavor. what I'm getting at is like people just like flavored shit, <laughs> and uh, not shit. It it's good tasting stuff, but it's uh, <laughs> oh, now he's joining the pack. But uh, it is fascinating, though, that people will say they're like bourbon fans, but they're like, really, they're just like fans of, they, they want their bourbon not to taste like bourbon. <laughs> and that's that's the thing that I've I've really seen is, is, and I'm kind of really scared for the category. You know, Fred, you made a really good point mm-hmm. that everything, now it's, it's a whole different classification. And for anybody that doesn't know, Ryan and I were on the producer side. There is so much leeway that you have as soon as you take it out of that particular, oh, it's a straight bourbon whiskey. Now it's a straight bourbon whiskey finished in blah. I mean, it's all, it's whatever you want. You can add chips to it. You can add staves to it. You can add flavoring, you can add coloring. You can add, I mean, there's just, there's all, there's so much that's there that people probably just don't know about. And that is probably one of the, the most scary things is when you come to this is that it's really hard to understand and take a brand at face value and what they're saying because you have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. This is where the, there's a difference between, you know, marketing and transparency and criticism. 
and marketing. Every time I or Wade Woodard or someone out there who brings this stuff up, the there is an, a large amount of people who come in like, you're just a hater, you don't get it, you just support these brands, you just like that, and you know, blah, 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 you know, insert anything. And one of the one of one of my fears is is that the consumer is not questioning what's in their bottle, and it's it's what Dave Pickrell told me a long time ago. May he rest in peace. He says consumers don't care about anything but other than does it taste good. Sure. And so if you if you as a consumer are not questioning what's in the bottle, and I mean whether in the store or on social media or whatever then there's going to be a lot of bullshit pounded down your throat with, you know, probably piled on with saccharin and fake honey, things like that. Like I I just, this category, while good, well, there's a lot of great stuff in here, man, it's, it's opened a Pandora's box, both for what's in it, where, why isn't it regulated like it should be. And the consumer just is, is just like accepting willy nilly, you know, it just, it, and it's, it, it's, disturbing for me and it's the part where I, I debated whether or not I was even going to talk about this for me that this is the kicking the dead horse this is the part of of what I do for a living that I'm tired of I mean I'm I'm almost worn out even talking about barrel finishes and how how they're not bourbon and, and all that I mean I'm just like I can't I can't keep up trying to defend the intent of of what is bourbon and how these things aren't bourbon and I can't keep I can't I mean, I'm worn out. I mean, I've been doing it for over a decade now. Yeah. And, I mean, I, where does it cross the line, though, for where it gets like uh, icky for you? You know, I I, I think it's it. What gets me is like is the consumers who just accept it, accept it, and just want it, and don't want to question it, don't want to don't want to learn about the process. And then to understand that that process is not, it's not how bourbon was meant to be. It's whiskey, absolutely. But bourbon was not meant to be finished in uh, a port barrel, sherry barrel. Is it an American whiskey? Absolutely. But it's not bourbon. It's not bourbon on a, on a, on a federal label approval. It's not a bourbon when they're writing their, their taxes or whatever when that thing's going out. You know, it's, it's not. It's a distilled spirit specialty, and still, after all this time, I have to explain to someone that Angel's Envy, why does Angel's Envy taste so differently than Elijah Craig? Why Why is Elijah? Why is Angel's Envy's rye, you know, taste uh, you oh, know, gosh, so different? It's not even a rye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, that was one of. The, I mean, gosh, I remember the first time I had Angel's Envy rye, yeah. and I go, all it tastes like is rum. I can't yeah. do this, and and it's just. I think Ryan, for me, like I love educating people, and what I have found is that this is this is not an area that people want to be educated on, and and I think that's the part that's frustrating me. The distillers are always but going. I guess how does the Scotch community approach it? Because you know? they don't have the Scotch community. Yeah, all it is is finishing sherry butts. Right. right? Yeah, that's but they don't a have a they don't have a law that mandates they go into new charred oak. Right. You know. Like and I guarantee you, if something violates if something violates the uh, scotch, the, the, so they kick them out, they sue them, and they are very protective. But it's to me, it's like the bourbon community it just they look at skews, they look at revenue, and if you get on Drizzly or you get on Total Wine, these finished products are right there in the thicket with regular Woodford. You know. Oh yeah. It's not about being accurate, and it's not about educating consumers about how something is made. It's about selling the damn product. Yeah, and, and that is, is. Do you think like legit. a double barreled bourbon, like a double oaked or something, is that considered bourbon to you? Because it's in going in like a well, see, same native. Very inter- like- very interesting debate to be had there, because it's it's going from one new charred oak to another new charred oak, and it doesn't the we when I, at Whiskey Advocate. My editor and I, we had this incredible lengthy debate. We determined that, you know, it doesn't really say like how many new charred oaks it can go into, <laughs> you know? So it's like... Well, Woodford it, will say double, double, double. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but so if it's new, then yeah. The Woodford double oak, the toasteds, those things 
I hold in a in a very different vein than um, just all the finished categories. Yeah, all yeah. the finished stuff. And again, I like all of them. I mean, I just I I just tasted the Penelope Rose finish, which there's not a lot of Rose barrels out there, but I happen to like Rose. I like Rose when I'm in Spain yeah. or somewhere like that. And I, the cool thing I I have respect with Penelope is that like they didn't take like traditional wine vessels that people like, you know, sherry port, right. cognac, and they did the Valencia with the Spanish wines, or they did the, I don't know how to say it. I'd say Takaji or Takai uh, or whatever. Tokai, yeah. Takai or uh, where I draw the line though is Amberana. <laughs> that that <laughs> just turns the spirit into like not, I don't even think it's whiskey at that point. It's like. Yeah, it's, uh, t- it's it takes a different course, right? I've had, all I, all I taste is gingerbread and cinnamon. That's all I Christ- taste. I, I always say it tastes like Christmas, you know. So. That's not what I want in the middle of June. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, honestly. That's not what I need at three o'clock. I don't need morning. it any month. <laughs> That's yeah. But the other thing I want to look at is: is this the problem of the distillers, or is this the problem because of the bourbon geek? Because has the bourbon geek become so complacent and thinking like, you know what, I'm done with Elijah Craig 18. What's next? Yeah. What can I try next? And then you're trying to chase after that high every single time of like, what can I try that's different or unique or just something I never had before producers. That's what they, that's what we have to do. I think Ryan, how long did we struggle thinking, do we even come out with the Oak collection for United? Because a long time, because we're like, is this something we even want to go down because we're taking away from the core of what we like as our bourbon, but we have to look at the market and the market dictates and they say they like finished whiskey they like port they you know, like sherry they like toast they yeah, like french it, they like whatever it's and very it's, hard it's like gosh like how can you say no and and steer away from what people actually want if you're anything like me then you can't get enough about bourbon and that's why i'm a subscriber to bourbon plus magazine Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. But the other thing I want to look at is, is this the problem of the distillers or is this the problem because of the bourbon geek? Because has the bourbon geek become so complacent and thinking like, you know what, I'm done with Elijah Craig 18. What's next? Yeah. What can I try next? And then you're trying to chase after that high every single time of like, what can I try that's different or unique or just something I'd never had before? Producers, that's what they that's what we have to do. I think, Ryan, how long did we struggle thinking, do we even come out with the oak collection for United? Because because we're like, is this something we even want to go down? Because we're taking away from the core of what we like as our bourbon, but we have to look at the market and the market dictates and they say they like finished whiskey. They like port. They you know, like sherry. They like toast. They like French. They like whatever. And it's, it's like, gosh, like how can you say no and, and steer away from what people actually want? Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with delivering what people want, but if you take a look at barrel, 
Barrel delivers all these finishes and everything. Oh, seagrass and all, all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, but they're not, barrel. they're not mm. calling it bourbon. And by the way, rye whiskey does, you know, it, it doesn't have the geographical protection. It's a, it's a very different beast than, than, than bourbon. They are very transparent about their labeling. They're transparent about how they do all this stuff. And so there's a way to do it that I think is both meeting the consumer demand and upholding you know, the standards, traditions, and ethics of, of bourbon. And I think Barrel does a good job with that. I also think Brown Foreman does a good job with that. Whenever they do a barrel finish, they issue a press release or give a statement of how long it's in the barrel or what toast was used. You know, they'll say it was a wet barrel for it was a dry barrel. I, and I think that's all it's about. It's about transparency and it's also proper labeling. And I realized, and I even said it before, it's like, I'm kicking a dead horse at this point and I've lost. I mean, we, my people who think like me have lost, we have not won this battle of, of like not having bourbon on the front of the label, put on the back of the label where you can, you can say it was bourbon, but now it's whiskey. But that's the thing is that American whiskey, that category doesn't sell the word bourbon. And and that goes to my point earlier is like, so that to me, it's the distillers. So you say, is it the, is it the distillers or, or is it the, the or is it the? I mean, if the distillers would spend the time educating consumers, barrels having no problem selling whiskey, they have no issues whatsoever. People love that product, and you know what they do? They educate on the bottle. I mean, I remember like I had I had a, a barrel product at one of my tastings, and they were looking at the label like, this is from four different states, and then it gave me an opportunity to talk about blend of straights and everything, you know. So transparency and educating consumers to me is at is is at the heart of this issue. And to me, distillers who are finishing and and barrels and are not taking the time to educate consumers are being lazy and just trying to get an easy sell. Well, I know it's an easy sell because Ryan, talk about the one time that you were doing a tasting of total wine and somebody read the tasting <laughs> notes yeah. on our on our shelf talker. Yeah, so somebody came up and they our shelf talker said like hints of it was somebody from, I think, the Barley Corner Award said, like, hints of chocolate and orange and pecan. And this, and they're like, I've been looking for a flavored whiskey like that for a while. And I was like, no, 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 those are tasting notes. That's not a, <laughs> I was like, the Ballantine's over that way, if, if you're looking for that. But yeah, it's, I mean, Americans like sweet shit. And that it's do. like, yeah. and it seems like, you know, and we've, I don't want to say that bourbon or whiskey companies are caving to that, but it's like, it feels like we're tracing a trend instead of staying true to who we are. But it's interesting to see how this will play out because, like, we've had this discussion, you know, as Kenny and I are, you know, starting your, you know, this path of owning our own brand. It's like, okay, what do you do? Do you always, like, chase what the whiskey consumer wants or do you, like, try to do something, you know, and build a brand of or, like, something that's like tried perfect, true. like tried and true and, like, really focus on that and, like, really good and it's like, well, how do you balance, like, you know, not cannibalizing your core product, you know, to like, it'd be interesting to see like Elijah Craig or something like, you know, with, you know, how they have the toasted rye and the toasted, but they don't have like, if you start doing Elijah Craig, Amberana or something, you know, like, or all this stuff, it's, uh, it's like, how do you play that balance as a brand? Like, you don't want to cannibalize your brand, but you know, you see these people chasing this shiny new finish or whatever so I, I don't know well i think there's a difference between how big your brand is and what you have to do i think that's a, a, a plays a pretty crucial role to this now you look at some of the big six a lot of what they do and honestly when i look at this this actually plays a, a, a good parallel to what i see inside of the tech world so inside of the tech world it's not big companies that create groundbreaking technology it's startups that do it and then what happens? They either acquire the startup or they just copy their technology. The same exact thing happens inside of the bourbon world. So you're going to see a lot of the big brands, they go to the safe route. They go toasted, they go port, they go sherry. Beyond that, in cognac. Beyond that, not so much. It's going to take somebody in the smaller realm. Let's take, let's take a barrel seagrass. Let's take a Joseph Magnus cigar blend. Let's take those as really good examples of multi-cask finishing of something that might not be one of your traditional types or the Tokai or the Orange de Naranja cask. I can't even say it all, but there's so many that are out there 
that you're trying to figure out how do you create you know what's next and so it's always these smaller mid-size or smaller brands that are creating that sort of okay what's what's on the next what's in the next realm and that's where the ambarana cast is coming in what's what's next on the the horizon and so it's always going to be these smaller brands that are going to come in create that market maybe initiative and then maybe the bigger brands will start following along whether they either follow along or they just say all right where are you where are you buying your Takai cash? Where are you buying your Mizanara cash? Where are you buying all this? Right. And then we're going to go gobble all that up. And they've got to go and figure out what's next. I remember, so the the craft brands, the barrel finishes were out of necessity to be different. And we talked about it for a long time saying, how do you separate yourself? How do you yeah. differentiate yourself from the big brands? Ah, barrel finishes. That's how we Especially do it. Especially if you're sourcing or, from like MGP and stuff, exactly. you know, there's a thousand of them. Or you know, Penelope's been smart to like, They've done such a great job with the finishing side. It's brought a lot of attention to their and it's it, and so you're looking at artistry here. You're looking at blending technique and, and everything. And again, I, I obviously have to give the caveat that I love I love the the growth of this. I just wish the labeling was different. All right, I'll shut up about that. But but <laughs> we're gonna the, put that as a like a highlight on it. Still here. Yeah. it's gonna be on my tombstone. <laughs> Barrel finished whiskey is not bourbon. Uh, Anyway, um, I'm gonna make sure I show up at your funeral. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna hold up a, a sign that says that. I would, I would actually love that, but yeah. I, I hope that's not for some time. I hope you're in a wheelchair. We're, you know, we're both yeah. in our 90s, you exactly. know. Exactly. But um, so I remember a high level person at Brown Foreman making fun of like all these like American single malts. Well, who just came out with a malt? Mm-hmm. Jack Daniels. So you know. You know and this, it was drowned in a sherry barrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I you, think review, I was like, I'm pretty sure this, this is all, is all sherry. sherry. Yeah, it's all sherry. So you know, uh, you know, these big brands are copying the craft guys. And look, four grain did not exist. Four grain was not anywhere to be found in the contemporary American whiskey scene until the craft brands started coming out with it. And that was out of necessity. There were brands doing that in the 90s. Small little distilleries in the 90s were doing that. And it's every at every single turn, whether it's the use of oats, the use of a sherry barrel, or 100% American malted whiskey, at every single turn, the large distillers will say, bah, that's stupid. But behind closed doors, they're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a, they have to follow the trend. I, yeah. I, I think that's the hard thing to get behind this is that the trends happen. And, and this is always one of the things that we've looked at, even from our own company standpoint, is, is how do you dictate of, of what your customer looks like? And it starts at the core of the whiskey geek and it starts fanning out from there. It's the whiskey geek that talks to their friends that aren't really whiskey geeks, but they're into it. And they start talking about stuff and that's how it goes. And that is just a, a natural progression of where we see a lot of trends happen. We see that happen not only just for the finishes, but just for how brands are built as well. And people that just have that little bit of the magic, that magic dust that gets them into the spotlight that everybody knows who they are. But then, you know, I think you the original question is like, you know, tying it back to craft beer and IPAs and 10 times hops and, you know, crazy stout finishes. And it's like, even in that world, you kind of see a draw, you know, people have kind of like, I don't really want any more hops. I just want like a, <laughs> just, you know, just a nice, easy lager. IPA, a lager, like are... a hyphen wasn. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm like, Heffy, huh? Well, just give me a Miller Lite, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. They and, don't want to be a Miller Lite. And though. so like, do, and I, I maybe see this trend coming full circle where people are like, you know what? I just want like a good solid bourbon, <laughs> you know? And I, maybe that's me doing that, but uh because uh, I've kind of gotten fatigued by the whole finish thing. I think it's still interesting and can done right. It offers good flavors, but I think it's just gone like way too far. Yeah, but having tasted pretty much everything, I would say at least 90, 95% of everything that comes out in American whiskey, I think that this is this will drop because the quality that's being used in finishing is not as good as what they're putting out straight. And it's not because there's an oak note in there, Kenny. It's because there's the distillate that they're using they're not they're not fusing the right bourbon together in these finishes or the right rye in these finishes like um well ryan's been a big what was your predictions about toasted is that the fact that you can take a a two-year-old or a three-year-old whiskey and make it taste like a five or six-year-old just because they're the toasting process and that 
complements your your thought process. Yeah, you're looking at. I I really do believe that uh, there's going to be a big like a big drop in the demand on these barrel finishes because people just think that the barrel will save the whiskey, or maybe maybe it's good whiskey and the barrel ruins it. There's a brand called Journeyman in Michigan that's putting out some really, really good whiskey. And I'm like, if if they ever finished like uh, their corsets and whips, like the sweet whiskey, like if they ever finished that, that would be ruined. You know, the nuance of it would be ruined. So the brands that have like really good distillate, you know, that's nuanced, it's going to get ruined by the barrel. Things that are uh, like highly spicy are going to overpower the barrel. And then sometimes... There's got to be a happy medium there. So like you're taking stock that you're gambling on by putting them in these additional barrels. So tasting all these, almost all these, I don't see like a great, you know, I don't see Something it Something that's going to live yeah. for the next 20 years. Yeah. I don't see another Michter's Toasted. Yeah. So the other thing that kind of worries me about this category is skew sprawl. Because what happens when everybody starts jumping on this this bandwagon? Well, they already are jumping on it. But you have big players who already own a lot of the shelf space. And so when they have that shelf space and they come out with a new toasted finish, barrel finish, port, wine, whatever, Chardonnay, the list goes on. Well, what happens? Well, they got to make room on the shelf for somebody else. When they do that, what happens? Well, somebody else gets squeezed out. Mm -hmm. And that could be a really good producer. That could be a journeyman. That could be a Jay Henry. That could be a pursuit. That could be somebody else that is producing a, a, or a blend or something like that, a really good bourbon, but because they have the, the wherewithal, they have the marketing dollars, they have the, the money to spend to actually remove you from the shelf just so they can put whatever finish that they got on as the flavor of the month. And that is going to be, I think the biggest thing that I worry about from a, a producer standpoint, or, you know, a brand owner standpoint for us, but is is you're going to see a lot of dissipation of brands that you never gave a chance, but just because somebody from the big six comes out with a Chardonnay finish, oh, we got to go get that, right? And I think that's the thing that's going to hurt bourbon. Yeah, and heaven forbid Weller comes out with a port series and sherry series that's 90, 100, 107 proof. And like, remember when they did all that, Changed like five proofs in a week or something like that. <laughs> uh, uh, that would be awful. I think I think that would be awful. But I also don't know if there's enough volume for that because there's those barrels. They ain't cheap. I mean, you all have a brand and you're all having to buy uh, that. And you know as well as I do that you spend more on those used barrels than you do for a new one. So uh, I don't know. And also, there's there's the labor part. Yeah, but th- you got to understand, for us, yes, it's a big expense. But for them, that's pennies. And so, fair, they, fair. so they look at it. And, and to be fair, yeah, you're right. It's pennies for them. But they have the, the marketing dollars that they can spend to push out anybody that they want in the market. And I think that's the big thing that I'm concerned about for a lot of other bourbon drinkers out there. That if you want a pure bourbon, you want a good bourbon... Or if you're just chasing after the next craze or whatever the next finish. Calling a pure bourbon, it's just perfect. Why did they have to put bourbon on the label? (laughs) (laughs) He's even saying it like it's like it's breaking my heart because you have to say pure, like pure, like it, like at some point. Which, by the way, does it feel does it feel adultered? It's it's a it it is it is it's adultered, but it's also uh, against federal regulations. By the way, to put pure on a on a label, but. um, that dates back to it. It's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that is a very, that, that's something I haven't really thought of a lot, Kenny, and that's really scary because I'm seeing that, I'm seeing these things grow when I walk into Liquor Barn. I'm seeing more and more of them. There's a brand, uh, I think it's Dueling Grounds. I bought one bottle from them. And liquor barn when I was doing my little canvassing. That's how I get a lot of my small brands. Is I just canvas liquor barn or another liquor store, and I and I find something I haven't had before. And it was the Olympa Olympa Lucanuma or something. Oh, like Lucha Mariano. Lucha Mariano. Yeah. yeah. What you thinking of? Yeah. It's very Italian, right? Uh, it is it, Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fantastic, but like surrounding it were all, all these like finishes that were you know, about to choke it out, you know, kind of keep it out. And I'm thinking, I, you bringing that up is like, if this trend continues, I would not, I would not have gotten that 
that bottle. And it made my top 100. It was good. And like I said, that's my, my biggest fear when this all happens is that there's going to be a competitive marketplace for shelf space. And in most midsize, even midsize, they are at a, a big disadvantage because they don't have a $7 million budget that they can go and throw just towards marketing. That is, and when I say marketing, that's just not like whiskey festivals. That is incentives to distributors, incentives to retail stores, incentives to whatever it is to make sure that they have product placement that yeah. is right there in front of the Case customer. Case deals, base. in stacks, all the point of sale signs and barrel heads and all the stuff you see plastered across on-premise and off-premise accounts, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like Bakers and Jim Beam, they do a good job of that. They do. And they do. But that's 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 what it takes. And to just kind of bring this all, all back is, is are we going to see this trend play out? Honestly, I feel it's on you, the listener, the consumer. Because what do you it, want? Well, I mean, and that's that's true. It's it, We've just seen how people have changed. They want the crazy finishes. They want all this stuff. But Ryan, to your point earlier, I really hope people come back to what is just good bourbon. And that even goes, I think we have even changed our own mindset over the past few years because... I don't know if we just go through this cyclical position or whatever it is where all we want is barrel cash strength, whatever. And now we go, you know what? Elijah Craig 94 proof is actually pretty damn good. <laughs> yep. And we didn't, we it's nice and balanced and we just old forester hunter proof. I did way boy, better than the barrel. Proof. I, yes. Going and showing you a little bit more of my curmudgeon ways. I did boycott Elijah Craig after they dropped the age statement. And then I eventually got back on board. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take long. <laughs> it's a two year boycott. It's yeah. a two year boycott. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was hurt. I have issues folks. You, I mean, by now you know this, but, uh, but age statements dropping, you know, that's a, that's another conversation, but this, you know, you all have, uh, Depressed. They me. have they have the buying power. Our yeah. listeners have the buying power. And yes. it's really it's really gonna be up to them to decide exactly where do we see American whiskey going. And do we see is it gonna be all trends? Is it gonna be crazy barrel finishes? You gotta chase the next whatever cask finish, or, or are you just gonna be content with what is really just good bourbon? And I'll tell you, Kenny, I don't think you intended to this, but this entire episode is very depressing for me because <laughs> I never even thought I never even thought about not you, you know, started off yawning. So yeah. man, <laughs> we back to that. Back, back uh, in your notice bed. I didn't yawn the entire episode. Because <laughs> we got we hit a soft spot. Got yeah, you, you got, got you riled up. Yeah. You got me riled up. But that's I, a question of we'll close it out. Do you think the everyday brand is dead? Or do you think that it will will always be there is always going to be just like you gotta oh, have yeah, this yeah. you gotta have this special small batch or you gotta have this yeah i think i think it's always going to be there you know the the other part to the liquor store is that if the barrel finish continues to grow and, and that that grows out you know the liquor stores aren't stupid they're going to look they're not going to cut into their american whiskey shelving uh they're going to cut into cognac or they're going to cut into uh cream liqueurs or whatever is not moving in there. And and I, I think that the American whiskey shelves just expand in, in general. But for those who don't have the shelf space and whatever, you know, someone's gonna get squeezed out uh on the on the whiskey side. And I just and the the whole thing depresses me because in the early nineteen eighties when they pulled out the government oversight of distilleries and when there were people on site making sure all the steps were taken the distillers relied on them as kind of like consultants they used the government they were they were helpful but there was testimony from all these executives in the bourbon industry who were pleading pleading with congress not to pool their government counterparts at the distilleries because you know and i quoted this in one of my books norman hayden who was then the the president of uh what you know, as Stitzel Weller, but they called it Old Fitzgerald Distillery. He said, this will lead to, you know, you taking out these like marketing oversights from the government, which the government used to make people prove, the brands prove their their claims. Like they had hearings between brands if they said that they were the best-selling bourbon, they would have an actual hearing to determine who was the best-selling bourbon. And so you could not just say things and you could not just do things and Norman Hayden said before Congress said that you are going to lead to label abuse and people deceiving customers with practices that are not within the regulations of what is bourbon. And we've seen that time and time again play out, but it didn't really start happening until the 2000s. And, 
the old schoolers, you know, which is kind of how I brought up in this world, you know, they predicted most of the stuff in the when that happened in the early eighties. And so when I when I see this coming and I see all and I hear you talking about pure bourbon, like comparing a barrel finish to pure bourbon, I mean it it just it it depresses the shit out. <laughs> it's like it, it it finally we finally hit this point, didn't we? It took this long, but we're finally here. Yeah. And, well I mean it's it's but there's a good point to be made only because of just how far this has gone. I will say that Angel's Envy was by far the pinnacle. They made this to the point where people don't even call it not bourbon. Yeah. When somebody says, what's your favorite bourbon? They go, Angel's Envy. And you got to you gotta kind of like, you know. Hold back. Hold back a little bit. <laughs> or you could be like me and Wade Woodard and try to tell them and then like, oh, well, you're a hater. Well, But it's not that. It's not you're a hater. It's it's It goes back to what we've said all time to begin. It's like just customers like sweet stuff. And, uh, but and, I, I will say too, Angel's Envy they're not like they're, they're not, yeah they're not hiding they're, behind it they're not hiding I mean, no they're no not, no they're they're not, they're, they, they, they play right within the the guardrails of what you should be doing. yeah and it's yeah. a very popular product clearly people like it it's they're not doing anything wrong it no. would just be yeah that's for mentioned you know just some and the, and the only reason where this where this comes from is it's the protectiveness of what is bourbon that's it like you know champagne they have rules about how to make champagne and they follow those rules. If someone doesn't make it, then it's sparkling wine. Bourbon is like all about selling those cases. Doesn't seem to be as interested in protecting. When well, the government's just interested in the tax revenue, they don't. Yeah, they, they, no, the government, <laughs> the government, the government just listens to whatever the distillers tell them to when it comes to the regulation stuff, and it'll go out to public to to vote on and have discussion. But they rely on the industry far more than the public knows, for sure. Well, this has been a, a good episode. We we dove into a lot here. Hopefully, Fred, you don't have some PTSD or something coming up. It's, uh, this. it's, it's oh, and you get him a cot. <laughs> yeah. back in bed. Well, we got lunch coming, so that'll that'll brighten me up. Yes, <laughs> but but this one it, it hit on all cylinders because this is honestly this is something as as a producer, as a whiskey reviewer, as a bourbon fan, you want to see this. I don't I don't know if I want to see the trend pass, but Damn, it's got to settle down. I think that's the that's the hard thing is that everybody's always looking at the next thing, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. But you lose sight and you lose focus of just what is good bourbon. And hopefully we can kind of get back to that. But we'll see. I Like I said, it's out to you. It's the consumer out there to try to figure out, is this what you want? Or do you want to keep chasing whatever the, the shiny red ball is? But with that, let's go ahead, close it out. Make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit. Follow Fred Minnick. If you like the show, share it with a friend, dump it in some port, and then share it with them. Whatever it is to make sure that <laughs> make sure this make is sure. a port finished version <laughs> of um, Pursuit. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Vodka sucks. Not wood finishing sucks. No, <laughs> you know I like wood finishing. I I like it. I just don't like bourbon being on the la- front of the label. Right, I get it. it. Labeling sucks. Right. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Labeling sucks. And goodbye. Goodbye.